Hi, and welcome to Bar Bar Barb the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Corey Bonavi, local musician and founder of Monopolized Records. We talk about his latest release from Dr. Mother Father, the St. John music scene, and how he met Peter Rowan, a story that actually blew my mind. I hope you enjoy. for three with my very low standards anyway so Corey, um thanks so much for coming please uh for for my listener base of 30 people oh perfect i'm just teasing uh can you tell me tell me what you do start in the most general sense no in the most very specific specific as possible He's rubbing his eyes. <laughs> He's already exhausted. I do a lot of things. I identify as a music person. So. Is that what your resume I, would I, say? <laughs> I don't even really have it. Well, I have a CV, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but so I started playing in bands at an early age. I think you were familiar with said band. Yeah, they're, uh, they're in my record collection. <laughs> but so playing music, playing in bands since I was a teenager. Then I got into recording. Studied to do that, started doing recording and playing music, and then eventually got into starting a music festival with a crew of people, so did that too, and so anything and everything that is involved with being a musician, or not musician, or music adjacent. Music adjacent. (laughs) You forgot the fact that you work at St. John's Coolest Records store. Oh yeah, Backstreet. Backstreet Records. Yes, that too. You also... um, put out music yes yes so yeah i run my business is monopolized records which is a studio and label so i I guess if you were gonna put a an overarching like name music guy isn't isn't (laughs) too far off no so you got started your first band was little you little me no no we'll start from the beginning telecast Oh my god, I'm embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) But that was a weird scenario where I was 16, and my cousin was in the band with me, and he went to Samuel de Champlain, and one of the cooks at Samuel de Champlain just happened to be Pierre Cormier, and so I was getting all this like this music is like Eric would be like check out this band. Pierre told me like check out this band, and so we were getting. How old would you be? When this is happening? 14, 15. So what bands was Pierre telling Eric to tell you to check out? I, well, well, or I guess it wasn't. It was mostly co- connected with the thing called like Nuggets, which is like an old garage rock thing. So that's what I got into. It was like that early garage rock. You know, my brother, you know, played and he was getting, he had all the Beatles CDs. So things like that. I was into the 60s stuff when I was younger. So 2003, that means, uh, did you miss the Port City All-Stars, or was that the height of the Port City All-Stars? I So the bands, the St. John bands that adopted my band, so Pierre's, <laughs> like, so it would have been Wooden Wise. The Wooden Wise. Is when I was, like, getting into the scene, because they asked my high school band, Telecast, to play at Melvin's on a Wednesday wow. night. So I had to get my parents... So I could get into a bar to play music, but that was like, that was my like entrance into the music scene. 
Wow, Melvin's okay. Yeah, the old blues back. So who was in the telecasts? It was me, Eric Ringett, and then Alex Lasky. I'm like pouting. I'm like making a face. <laughs> like I'm just remembering. Yeah. How old I am. How cute you guys were. But I remember you because you were the super fan. I was a super fan. You still are. Thank you so much. <laughs> By super fan, you mean adult supervision <laughs> at all ages shows. Yeah. Well, that was that's what <laughs> the was sober drive home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just joking. You were sober too because you were under. I was underage, and my parents were there, and they were driving me there. So it was like pre-license <laughs> and everything. Uh, I mean, yeah, that was a weird scenario where. I think there was, like, all-age scene, but it was, like, happening in a church. Everything was always, like, in a church or something. Or, like, community centers and hardcore scenes were happening in all these, like, small spaces. So it was neat to be, like, I'm playing a bar. It felt like it made it seem more real. Imagine going to school on Monday morning and you're telling your friends that you played a rock show at a bar. Yeah. Or... Did no one care about Nobody that? Nobody cared. <laughs> you were a loser. No, just decent. I was, yes. <laughs> Still am. Uh, no, I. it was always weird because there was like, well, I was in high school, so it was like, there's the cliques. And me and Alex both went to the same high school, and Eric was in the French school. Mm-hmm. So, like, we just got together because we were connected that way. And, 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 like, I didn't, my band never played for, my high schooler. Like, I never played in front of my peers. Ever. You were always playing for old people at bars. I say old people because I was one of them. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, I, I think that uh, the teenage movies have led us to believe that if you are in a cool rock band, you're going to play at the last assembly of the school year and somehow become the coolest person in the school. I mean, there were those bands, oh, okay. and that was never really a thing that happened. Though I don't think anyone, no, but no one ever thinks anything their friends does is cool, in that capacity. Like, to it does work, but in school specifically, like in high school, I feel feel like it's a little bit more divisive. Or you're no, like, you just said something that shook me to my core because you're absolutely right. Nothing we do is cool. Like you obviously probably took guitar lessons when you were a teen. No. I taught myself. I was one of those weird kids that like locked themselves up in the room and just, I got books from Long Quay, so I got theory books and I just read through them. Sorry, I'm out of a moment. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I never got less, like my lesson, my first lesson would have been through my brother and it was just learning how to read tab. I'm also obsessive with things, so I tend to fixate and just like, that was... That was just the thing I landed on. I could do it by myself. It was great. Just. When did you decide, Corey, that uh, Music Guy was your trajectory? Or or do you think that it maybe uh, chose you? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think, well, the influence of playing the bars. So I had a more real sense of, like, what playing music was like. So I wasn't. I didn't have super grandiose ideas, and even the ones I did have were pretty, like, pretty mellow. Well, I knew I wanted to do something related to music, so then I had to try to fit an occupation along with it. Uh, So I ended up doing, like, a recording arts. So getting into engineering, Mm because in my head, I was like, we're in a blue-collar town. It was like, well, that's, like, 
it's like I viewed it, it's a trade. Right. Uh, so I studied to do that, and that was, that's what I've been doing since then. I mean, along with working Backstreet. Sure. Uh, so, yeah. That w- I looked at that as, like, music adjacent. Can so you- I can enjoy doing music stuff, and I can still be creating, because I don't, the idea of making money as a musician, that's, like, a whole level of almost impossible Tell me what your mom thought about all of this. Like, straight A student, she's like, taking all your sciences. She's like, but Corey, why aren't... I'm, I'm imitating your mom. Oh, I yeah. No, no my, mom, my mom is super wonderful uh, and very supportive. Both my parents are, like, incredibly supportive of all of it. Uh, I think they viewed it as, like, you'll make it work because they believe that I could muster up something. <laughs> uh, and they knew I, I, like, I had to fail safe of, like, I have an education. I can right. go get edu- like my family also like no one is like super high educated. Like I thought I grew up middle class, and then as I grew up, I realized oh no, I wasn't middle class. I was like working class. Like it was like a funny like you know because you watch TV and you're like oh yeah, I identify with these kids, and I was like no, like I wasn't. You know we weren't poor, we weren't well off. It was great upbringing, but it was like they worked hard, and you know. I witnessed my mom go through a strike and my dad's done trades work but like uncertified so he's always been like working seasonal so periods of not work and so I've I got the full brunt of like I guess like not really just witnessing like the workforce so knowing that I couldn't I don't think I could handle the trades specifically well and you grew up learning obviously how to work hard Yes. Yeah, my parents are super hard workers. And I like to think that I got DIY from my dad, not a genre of music, which everyone thinks about because I, I play music. So they're like, yeah, this punk. It's like, no. <laughs> it's like my dad was like, like his whole thing was like, if it's broke, try to fix it at least 10 times before you give up on it. <laughs> at <laughs> you least <know>? 10 times. <laughs> Just be like, you know, you Is, can fix it. Do you still drive your truck? It's, yeah, so it got me here. <laughs> <laughs> That thing is it's been like fixed more than ten times. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely more than ten. It needs a new wheel bearing right now. But tell me about little you, little me, and how that got started. Yeah, so that was started. Gavin was playing in a band called Riot River, and they broke up, and so did my high school band. And I was like, I like what you do. You like what I do. And we got together and we started writing, and eventually that became little you, little me. So the first, I mean, and we also grabbed Alex, who was the drummer in mm-hmm. the telecast. So originally it was Alex, Gavin, Jeff, and me. And then what? And then we recorded music. I was doing the recording thing, so it was like put out, you know, EP singles, eventually worked on an album, which I was still, because I was at a place called Atlantica at the time, so mm-hmm. I recorded it. It was actually really cool. So we ended up recording that album all live to tape and then dumped it to the computer, and I did overdubs that way. And so that was fun. So Mark actually engineered, like, the bed tracks of that. I mean, that record... Well, that record was fun because we put that one out as, like, a... This is before I was doing the label, too. I wasn't I wasn't mm-hmm. doing the record. I was, like, full focused on whatever music project I was on. And we ended up putting it out. I contacted Julia Wright at the time doing Hard Times in the Maritimes. And so I asked if I could put out a record through Hard Times in the Maritimes. We got another tip from Steph Tierney, who was like, I was like, yeah, I want to do this idea. And we kind of got this, 
it was like a mixture of because Judd was also involved in this mm-hmm. Judd Crandall. And what ended up happening was Hard Times and Maritimes does a music issue. I print like a hundred CDs and they go in a paper sleeve and inside the issue of the zine, which is free, we had the artwork for the for the CD. Mm-hmm. So the idea was you cut out the cover and the in like the jewel case like insert for the back. And so the idea was you'd buy you you didn't buy it. We gave it away. You so gave people gave away your first record. Yeah. In Hard Times and the Rare Times. So this was April 2014. So this was uh pre COVID. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you had to bring it up. <laughs> I do have another connection with that release, but what? Tell us, tell me, tell us. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, tell well, the, like a pinnacle. Talking about a pinnacle thing for my life, I guess. Stephanie Tierney sent that to Peter Rowan. Whoa! Yeah, and then he got it. He liked it, and then he reached out to me. And Peter was still holding on to the showcase that was happening in Pop Montreal. It was like Peter Platinum stage. It was of at course. the Barfly. It's like yeah. a hole in the wall and. I mean, it's a famous and this, bar and in Montreal. this is Montreal. an East Coast showcase at Pop Montreal, right? Or is it just a Peter it, Rowan showcase? It's just a Peter Rowan showcase. Just so fans. whatever he wants on that bill. But yeah, so he asked us to play the showcase, and we were like, yeah. So we were just thinking we are going to play a show in Montreal, and for like St. John bands trying to get out anywhere, it always seems like a big deal. I remember, well, I think the Wooden Wives played one show in Montreal. I was like, whoa, you know. There were still <laughs> moments in my life where I remember it's like playing Fredericton. Or Moncton was a big... Halifax. It's like all those things were like big deals. But we ended up playing this Pop Montreal showcase. And then Peter afterwards asked if we wanted to work with him. And then we said yes. And then, I mean, obviously a lot of time has gone past. I'm trying to think that probably happened in 2014. Uh, Wow. So tell me what that means to like working with Peter. What does that mean? It's just someone that's more like connected or like you're able when you were like, I want to do let's like before we wanted to play Sappy, we had no way in. And then we had an in for Sappy or playing other things or like just having someone that has connections. And then we've put out, you know, lots of records since then. And I forget when I, I think I officially started Monopolize. I mean, that's 2014. 2015, I guess, is when I, like, officially was, like, record label. What what made you make that Because uh, what was happening... Well, I what I learned from... So the record that we've been talking about, for it's a little you, little me, what have you been doing with your time? When I was sending it out and stations were playing it, the thing I noticed, it was, like, it just this self-released. So the biggest thing for Monopolize was I was like, well, if I'm saying it's a record label, maybe that'll help. Like the idea of putting something under an umbrella and we had, I've had those scenarios where we've toured and, you know, someone younger might come up to us and be like, you're signed to a label. And I, I was like, oh yeah, it's like, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the label. <laughs> I'm the label. But it, it, it does help that it's like, there's a team. And then I realized too, it was like, it feels more like a community effort. Even if it is an initiative on my own, it's like, uh, I'm doing this thing and then I also help. I've been helping people around, you know. I think the first release was an ER and the other release. So that was the project that I started with. I think you're being very humble when you say you've helped some people. If you look up Monopolized Records, 
com. You know, yeah, I got the domain. (laughs) You know, you there's there's dozen like bands, artists underneath that umbrella. So I think I think you're being a little modest. We put he put out the song of the year last year for me. Popcorn, popcorn by Sadie. Yeah, I love that you you knew what it was. (laughs) Like it's a song for everyone's ear. That's a good one. I mean, it still is good. Yeah, it's. Great song. I listened to it uh, before you came over tonight, yeah. and my daughter was like, "This song's awesome." Sweet. No, <laughs> I was like, "It is awesome." <laughs> that song was hard to record for all the wrong reasons because of lockdown. Oh. It's the start and the stop, and it was just like we were working back and forth, and I'm like, I'm sending stuff to Sadie, and it was just the two of us that played on it. Mm-hmm. So it was like. Even that, two people trying to work together was, like, difficult. Well, bravo for following the rules. <laughs> that song. Hopefully you um, like the new one coming out. I hope I like it, too. Uh, I had mentioned it earlier in our conversation, but um, Grid City, which is, um, like, an arts and culture website based out of Fredericton, uh, headed by Matt Carter, uh, he described your pandemic project oh yeah as an unintentional solo effort (laughs) and i would like you to tell me about your project dr mother father yeah so yeah i technically started that project in 2015 so it's it's a so just post peter rowan (laughs) (laughs) so no but what what it really what it what it was it was like, I, you know, working with Lil Yula Me, it's like having stuff that didn't work with the band. Or really, it's because Gavin and I write 50-50. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm only bringing half of a record when we do a record. He's bringing half and I'm bringing the other half type. Right. And we work together on things, but, like, that was sort of how it always ended up working out. So it was, like, not not quite leftover songs, but just songs that may not have fit. Yeah. Yeah. And just, like, me messing around. It's like, I have a studio and... Uh, what I the original intention of the project it was like yeah I'll release something just like I want to do something garage and psych like closer to like my first like what I started out doing because little you because when we got Michael Milburn in the band he is coming from the hardcore background things definitely amped up we got really intense like and so you know the chill like lean back rock stuff kind of fell by the wayside to it not totally but like so certain things just like I was like I want to write some stuff like this so I was doing that I ended up demoing a bunch of stuff or like actually recording it and then I had a hard drive crash so I lost a bunch of it and then it was like kind of like lost motivation and while all this is happening I'm working on lots of projects simultaneously Mm -hmm. so it was like after a hard drive crash I was like I'm moving on. I'll, I'll maybe I'll record, re-record some of the, so some of the stuff, some of the original songs and demos are gone. Like I just didn't even bother re-recording some of it. Mm-hmm. I at least had some MP3s on my like my Dropbox, so I had some of it that I could just like take off there and when I got a new hard drive and figure that stuff out. So when the pandemic hit, that's when I was like, um, by myself with nothing to do. So it seemed appropriate to to do something. I mean, it, it, it was weird because I had conversations with people who were like, you put a record out, you were pro-, like, it was like this, it almost like created a thing where people thought I was super productive during the pandemic. And when it was like, <laughs> well, I like, 
feel like I picked up these scraps. Yeah, no, that's, just no but it, it sort of was, and 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 I wrote the way the the on the LP the way the track listing worked. It was kind of cool for me because it like it was like symbolic of certain things where it's like because I still think in vinyl on records. So I originally did it digitally mm-hmm. at the first of the pandemic, but I had side A and side B already thought of. So when I so when I did the vinyl, there wasn't nothing changed. I didn't have to change any like sequencing or. Uh, I mean, I guess people, your listeners might not know what I'm even talking about, but when you make a record, you have about <laughs> 20 minutes per side. So when you're organizing your songs, start track to end track, you have to be conscious of of what you get into because if you go lopsided, you might have like 22 minutes. And then on because the, of the way the song, like if, if you're getting into mm-hmm. time, like certain songs being a certain length. And so the last song on side A, You Are What You Are, I wrote that during the, like, that was written for, or, the, like, during the pandemic. I was, like, record. I was, like, I need some other new songs to just, and it's also fun to have something new and fresh, and then by the end, it was also, I wrote those two songs just, like, after, like, lockdown happened, and I was, like, I need mo- some more music for it, so those two were brand new songs, so they kind of cap both sides of the record, so it's, like, the older stuff going to some of like where I was at at the time. That's neat. Yeah, it just worked out that way. I like it. Just like it was like when can I looked you, back at it. Can you answer me this question? Yeah. The um, the album art is a, mm. a photograph of a church. I'm leaning in. <laughs> it w- what ended up happening a lot. Like I kept on getting this like weird thing where I'd have like I've always identified as like having this like residual like I was brought up Catholic and, like being weirded out by catechism. I was, like, fully confirmed in the church and stuff like that. And then post-confirmation, the deal I made with my mom was, like, once you're confirmed, you can make your choice. And I was, like, stop going to church. So, obviously, I kind of had this, like, weird run-in with, like, Catholicism. But what happened was I was catching myself having, like, these weird guilt trips. And I they're the same. And, I, and, and a lot of how I was living my life was almost, like, in the same vein so all these things were like connecting in this weird way it was like weird to think that i was connecting how like a church like being a good person all these moral things sure they're good to have but like the all the negative parts too i was having it with music and being jaded about things and like some of these attitudes and just how i felt about things were were going note for note with how I felt about religion, I was turning that into music too. Like that was happening with creating music or being in the music industry and like having sort of these negative connotations. So it was like, it felt like everything was kind of like, it wasn't any different. So it was, it was more or less me trying to like face it and be like, okay, I, like maybe I can move past that. <laughs> it was sort of something that was like always trying to get away from, but it was like always coming back in one way or another. And it was like through peers or like, you know, people in my life that were, super religious and being like meeting self-righteous people and it was like it was always something that was like bothering me or like it would come back to me in some weird way and then I would connect it with something that was happening in my life like at the same moment it's like like having faith like religious faith is very much the same as for me having faith in music like something's gonna come out of it like why am I doing all all the things I'm doing is it for the greater like why am I doing a lot of the things I'm doing because it's not I'm not benefiting from it financially so a lot of that stuff was like, it's like being a martyr. It's like, why is that? Why am I doing that stuff? Why is it like, you know? Uh. The St. John music scene heading into uh, 
the end of 2019, early 2020, um, had suffered some big blows. Yeah. Um, My point of view of what thing, what has happened to the music, even to answer the question, I guess, to understand what has happened to it in the first place, mm. uh, it's sort of on like a stance, like people just put on pause. Because a lot of the musicians, obviously, there's not a lot of people that they work at music, but they don't make a living doing music. So a lot of people had to drop things and do jobs and work and things like that. So they stopped, and I think everyone thought, I'll just stop doing this for now, put it on pause, and then when things go back to normal, I'll get back at it. And I think that happened with a lot of people. Now some artists or local musicians have been able to put something out or work away, but... I don't know. So I think a lot of people are still held in this like weird stasis of like just like freezing. So to, I don't know, like continuing. I, I don't know. I don't know what people do. Like for me, pre-pandemic, I only know the people that I know before COVID hit. I haven't met a single new musician. I don't know. Like I keep, this is something I keep talking about. It's like the kids in the music scene uh, are 22 now. You know, so the people that when we're doing quality block and thinking we need some doing these all age shows, we need some younger musicians. It's like they're not young anymore. We don't know. any. So I don't I don't know what the new younger musicians are. Uh, and it's it's just because there's no the community aspect of the music scene has, has been kind of ripped apart from the scene like. There's still musicians doing stuff, I assume, and there's some artists that have released stuff and been active, and but there's not much like without going to shows and doing that. Also, you lose your inspiration to work on things. Like I know 2022, I didn't, so I did the record, I released the Doctor Mother Father record in 2020, but the the day it released, I was working on a I was working on a TV show, so I didn't even I was out of like the idea of like working on music I did that thing for two months and then I like you know I had to deal with mold at my where I live and and things like that I just like I wasn't even concerned with music I didn't for 2020 I didn't personally work on stuff it looked like I did because like right at the first of it I had some time and then mm -hmm. I put out the record and I think I put it out in July and then it was like I didn't work on stuff and I've talked to some people like because of working at Backstreet I've you know people have come to the shop but a lot of the folks I talk to, it's like, have you, I always ask, like, have, are you writing? And more often than not, the answer is no. And it's because, like, when you're, if you take out going to shows and meeting people, it's like, well, you lost your motivation. Because that's, mm -hmm. that's what a community is. That's what a scene is. It's like people actually physically being around each other, seeing things and being inspired by the community part of it. It's really hard to sit in a room by yourself months on end and think, I need to write something. I mean, maybe it does, it probably works for some people, but mm -hmm. I think the people that were used to the system that was set in place, it, it really screwed them up. And so I'm not going to say it's for everyone, like everyone stopped. I, I'm sure. like, I didn't stop. I, I just started like 2021. I just started getting back into things with, with Dr. Mother Father. So it was like, and that was because of the St. John Music Awards. They were like, cause I didn't even have a band. So I released a, a record of a thing that was just me. Mm -hmm. And it was like playing all parts, playing all the parts. So <laughs> it's like the idea of like a mayor McCall, one man band, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but then Julia Rogers asked me about playing 
the St. John Best of. And it was at the Imperial, which was, I was like, that's going to be a trip. I mean, Little You Little Me played the Imperial too, because they did, a, we did a quality block mm-hmm. thing in 2020. And that was the last Little Little You show. What do you think St. John needs to move forward? A venue. <laughs> okay. No, but it is, <laughs> it, it is as simple as that. It, it, it's like a St. John's never had consistent, consistent venues or ones that have built up a good reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the one I wanted to go back to that I thought of during the pandemic, when I approached them, it was like, yeah, we're getting noise complaints, so we can't. Basically, the whole building is against us, so that's not going to happen. So I had to stop thinking of booking there. Mm-hmm. So being a St. Johner, the only place I've played... I mean, places have been having shows. Yes. But for the type of music I make, it is difficult to place because I'm not going to be able to play the tiny venue. I'm not going to sit there with an acoustic guitar. Like, mm-hmm. it's drums. It's it's of course. electric. Uh, of course. And so, like, the Imperial was great because it was, like, it was also weird to say that the first show I had with that project was at the Imperial. It's incredible. <laughs> but it was also the only place since I played in St. John mm-hmm. in 2021. And I'm wrapping up the year with playing two shows in Fredericton, one show in St. John. And the reason why is because Fredericton has the cap. And that right, is a Which pla- is a dedicated music venue in downtown yeah. Fredericton. Perfect. Yeah. And because it's that, it's there, it's had to figure out and make this work. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of venues in St. John were a business, and then it, music, the stage, was an afterthought. That's a great point. Yeah. That the, the cap absolutely is a dedicated music venue that it had to pivot there dedicated music venue to allow patrons versus the St. John music venues, which are first a bar, first a restaurant, first a performing arts theater. (laughs) (laughs) But you're, we don't you're right. We don't have, we don't have the infrastructure that Fredericton has in place for um, drums and bass. And, (laughs) you know, the, the musician that isn't, uh, an acoustic guitar. Yeah. Or a keyboard. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like, easy list. Like, yeah, like the thing that, what I equate to, like, background. Mm. Like, I've known friends to play those gigs where it's like, it literally is. It's like, they're sometimes they're great paying gigs, but it's like, you're there to be in the background. Like, mm. it's not about, it's not about people coming here. Like, the cat very much is like, you go there to see who you pay to see. Mm-hmm. You don't just walk in being like, yeah, that's right. It's yeah, it's it's a showcase room in a, in that sense. It's showcasing whatever you know the local talent or the touring talent. Is. That's right, and you can't go to the Capitol to have a beer and have a conversation with your friends if there's band playing because no. it's music first. Yeah, and the volume is such that the conversation isn't <laughs> happening yeah. until their set's over. Yeah, <laughs> in between. <laughs> no, and and so St. John's always had that. It's had this like mighty scene. That's it's like. It's like the music scene that could. It's always been like pushing and thriving. And even doing quality block, the amount of volunteers was always insane. Because I would talk to other people that do small festivals and they're like, how do you get so many people? And it's just, I mean, there's obviously a good team working there and it's like, but there's people that want it to happen. I love St. John. Yeah. Well, it's always had that. 
And I think it's a thing, like, I, I've tried to dissect this with friends, like, talking about it. It's, like, it's a blue-collar town. There's no real, like, art institutes nearby, like, in the area, but we have all these galleries. The music scene's always been thriving. You know, third space, third shift mm-hmm. happening. There's always been these... We're a creative community, for sure. Yeah. What's next for Monopolized Records and Corey Bonavi? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're wrapping up, um, like, wrapping up 2021, trying to, like, I mean, at the time we're recording this, I don't know when you release it, but uh, I'm not sure. I have to reassess everything, so I've been helping out. My my big pro- recording project for the this year was doing the Gravel Tapes Music Club project um, that Peter Rowan does, and everything's kind of rolling out. And we were supposed to have all these shows January 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th. And we just canceled them and pushed them to March. So, or tentatively March. I, I, like, that's not even, I mean, I think it's it. I don't know. Everything's up in the air. And so, I'm not sure what's happening in 2022. But I have to reassess. As a business, I'm, like, getting to a point where I realized 2020, I basically didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Or not anything. The Jane Blanchard record and the Adam Irie came out that year. And then DMS. So it, it did do things, but it didn't feel like I did anything because, like, uploading stuff to a digital distro doesn't feel sure. like I'm actively doing much. Like, without shows, that was the only way I knew how to function as, like, a person running an indie label and working with artists. So uh, going forward, I am trying to reassess and figure out new initiatives. So I'm going from someone who is being stubborn about not being able to play live to being like, I have to be in one form or another of uh, like a content creator, which is weird because I'm not an influencer or <laughs> like an inf- like a YouTuber. But to survive today, I think, or like for, this, it, I'm not even going to say short period because I still don't know when, when we're out of like being able to have shows or not have shows or uh, like in 2019, I did my year end and I was like, I'm going to do this annually. Everything, I, like, I can't keep holding on to that stuff, obviously. Like, I have to, like, you know, adjust. Every business has. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, just kind of playing catch-up now, being like, okay, I, I actually have to. Things I want to have happen, I do want to do another Dr. Mother Father record. So I'm hoping that happens. And that's the only thing that's really, like, set in stone. I know we'll, I'll have another Sadie single out. Uh, and even pressing a record is like super expensive, so I don't know if I'll do another one right away. But yeah, I don't know. It's all up in the air. That's literally without having shows, it's like it's so hard to like plan for sure things. So like I know I'm gonna come out with like some form of initiatives, or mm-hmm. I think Ravel tapes will keep going on. So hopefully stuff like that, because I do collaborate with Peter in that I'm helping release of course. that project. Um, the uncertainty. Yeah, so it's, like... Is overwhelming. Yeah. So, like, I can't... But I also music has to come out. Do you think that, you know, when we come out of this, that we'll be able to have all of those release shows, that we'll have a, a 2020 and a 2021 recap? <laughs> and just say, let's let's celebrate the Dr. Mother Father record. Let's celebrate the Papal Visit record. Let's celebrate Jane's record. Yeah, uh... Celebrate Sadie's hot singles. Well, I'm hoping that those artists, I think the mindset to have now, instead of trying to look back, it is like, well, it's out. Like, 
let's what's the new thing like I know, and I know the artists want to have that mindset because that's the healthy mindset to have going forward is like it's more or less how to create the environment where people can be creative so like one of the ideas that I have for a project would be to do like you know like a monthly single thing or something mm -hmm. like that where something's always coming out you know holding myself accountable to be like I have to put things out I have to bug my friends to be like hey come in and we'll record a song or like doing these initiatives because like the Gravel tapes for me was this super sobering process where I was around musicians collaborating and I was like oh this is nice it's like this hasn't happened in a bit because I, re I recorded myself in a vacuum like I wasn't creating with people uh mm -hmm. and until like with with DMF even because of the St. John Award show the approach was what was it we want Dr. Mother Father to play. I'm like, cool. I don't have a band. Do you think you can get a band? By, they asked me in May, and the show is in June. I'm like, I'll try. And Creating then, your music in a vacuum and then having to find somebody who's heard it, likes it, can learn it. Oh, yeah. No, I got lucky. Well, it was also, I mean, to put context to the scenario, too, there was a hard bubble at that point. Mm -hmm. So it was, I reached out to to Colin Ferris and Courtney, Courtney Nichols, who are a couple, but also <laughs> musicians. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that's the only reason, but it was like, it was, it was, well, it was nice to play with people I've never played with. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like trying to open up. I mean, where everything was like, everything again, felt like it was on pause. These were still people I knew yeah. before everything locked down, but it was like, oh, this, it was refreshing. And then when that happened, that's when I got... The push to be up until that point I had no real drive to to play or the idea of playing like I thought maybe I'll do more like Dr. Mother Father on my own when I feel like it mm -hmm. but when I got together with them I was like oh this like speeds up the process quite a bit you know because you can go jam a band yeah it's like and so hopefully that's like I don't know and I I'm starting to realize that I was fortunate to have that experience. So I had the opportunity because of that show, I was given the opportunity to like get the ignition going. It's like to get going and seeing Gravel tapes was the same thing where it's like, there was jokes even with Designosaur. They were like, friends were like, so is that, are you, is Designosaur even a band anymore? Like we didn't break up, but like we couldn't do anything. And so people, it's funny how people think cause like everything is, would go stale if it's not active, but it's very hard to be and, active. And right, everything is just on pause. Yeah, that's that's what it feels. It's hard. It's a hard thing to describe, but it is. Yeah, it hasn't stopped feeling like we're paused. I guess. Thank you for coming, Corey. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. It was nice. I mean, just connecting with people has like been weird. I can't believe that I learned something. That story about. Steph Tierney sending your record to Peter Rowan actually blew my mind. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that with me. <laughs> That's a fun one. It is. Thanks so much, Corey. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you to the Maritime Collective for their support in the production of this podcast. Thank you to the Constantines for Young Lions. See you later.